if you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. And I want to, uh, this is maybe more Sunday school lesson material instead of a Sunday evening service material, but I think it's something important for us to understand. Before I get much further, there's a, uh, on the back table for the kids, there's an activity book with some different things in there that we put together something for you to remember us by and if you run out of things to do there's some faces on the back there you can color us green or orange or whatever color you want to color us and of course our prayer card back there pick one of those up remember us in prayer and there's also a little brochure that I put together this you being the church people there's nothing really new in here a little bit of our personal testimonies and that sort of thing I wanted to put something together Because people have so many different ideas of what missions is and what missions work is. And I wanted to be very clear to family members that we have that maybe don't know the Lord as their Savior. Or I know we've given these to co-workers and our doctor and whoever that that we know that we tell them what we're doing, what our plans are. And they, of course, have questions. I wanted to lay it out very clearly for them what we're planning on doing. And uh, that it's our goal to preach the gospel to these people. And when you talk about mission work, if your family is anything like mine, and involved in all sorts of different kinds of churches and have different religious beliefs, whatever, you know, the, the conversations about religion can get very interesting. And the conversations about mission work can be very interesting. And people have a very, a very uh, unbiblical idea of what missions is. And we aren't going, I'm not a medical doctor, we aren't going to heal all the diseases in Cape Verde or anything like that. We aren't going to feed all the hungry people in Cape Verde or to adopt the starving puppies that are running around on the streets or anything like that. And there is a lot of that, by the way. But, uh, but we aren't, we aren't, that's not our goal. And, of course, our ministry may include some of those things. But that's a tool that we would use in order to reach the people. And if we can, you know, save them from their 50, 60, 70 years of life that they, that they, you know, live with the hunger or whatever, that would be that would be a noble thing. But we're more concerned about their eternity and where they'll spend eternity. And so that's that's our goal, of course, to reach them with the gospel, and not that we're going to be cold-hearted and not reach out to people. And that's not the way we ought to be as Christians. We ought to be very giving people, no doubt. But uh, our goal is to bring the gospel to them. But in Acts chapter 14, I want to just look at a couple passage, couple verses here. A passage that maybe has been overlooked by many people. And uh, in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, I love to read about the Apostle Paul. And we see him as, as in many ways, our pattern in missionary work. And of course, you you understand the Apostle Paul was saved from a life where he was once the persecutor of the Christians and he went to being the persecuted. And a, a very difficult life that was before him, and I like to point out, I believe it's in Acts chapter 9, right after his conversion, where he's met by the first Christian who was brave enough to greet him, Ananias. And the Lord revealed to Ananias that, yes, as we know him, the Apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, as he was known at that time, has truly been converted. He's turned to the Lord for his salvation. He's a brother in Christ now, and he goes to greet him, and he greets him, calls him Brother Saul. 
And a, uh, an amazing thing that the Lord revealed to him at that time, that the Apostle Paul's ministry was going, I may butcher the verse a little bit here, but that his ministry was going to reach both kings, the children of Israel, those that are in authority. I forget exactly how the verse goes. But then he goes on to say, and I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name. And you see, the two went hand in hand in the Apostle Paul's life. As he went from place to place, there were many opportunities that presented themselves, but with those opportunities also came a great deal of persecution. And again, we aren't thinking that we'll face the physical persecution necessarily, but certainly the devil has absolutely no use for us and what we plan on doing. And no matter what you do for the Lord, if you live your life for the Lord, no matter where it is, you're going to face some sort of persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I read that somewhere, and I don't think it was the Reader's Digest. But, but we understand that this is true. And in the Apostle Paul's life, it was certainly no different. He knew this from the very beginning because of his background, his religious background, that he had persecuted the church before he became a Christian. He knew full well what was in store for him when he decided to become associated with this group of people. And we see that in this chapter, and we read the exciting stories of the Apostle Paul. But in Acts chapter 14, we're given just a very short glimpse of maybe more of the Apostle Paul's method as he went from place to place. The beginning of Acts chapter 14, Paul comes to a city and he's persecuted. In fact, he's stoned to death. As far as the people were concerned, they thought he was dead. They drug him outside the city for the birds to eat or whatever, and they left him there for dead. And there's some debate whether or not he was really dead or he wasn't dead. I, you can debate it all you want. As far as the people were concerned, though, they'd killed him. They were rid of him. And they brought him out, and in a miracle, whether he was dead or he wasn't dead, it was a miracle that he was able to get up and be walking within a few days after he had had rocks thrown at him till they thought he was dead. It's a miracle, no matter how you slice it, that he was raised again to life from this point. But that's what happens in the beginning of the chapter, and we, we often read that story and see the highlights, and then we get to the end of the story. Maybe we just kind of buzz through some of the verses and not read what's given to us. But I want to look at this just very, very briefly tonight. In Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse number 19, we'll read a little bit just for context here. It says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposed that he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And then I want to see, just focus on these next few verses and what's given to us here. It says in verse number 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And you say, well, what? I mean, there's not really a story that's going on in these verses, and we like to focus on the, on the big flashy stories. But in verse number 21 down through verse number 23, we're given very clearly the Apostle Paul's method as he traveled from place to place. And I have it marked in my Bible. Maybe if you are in the habit of marking things in your Bible, you also could mark it just to remember this. 
But in verse number 21, we see first and foremost when he came to a place that says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city. I have the word preached circled in my Bible with the number one next to it. This is his first step when he came to a place. And if there is ever a book that has never been written, but I wish it would have been, and I would buy a copy if it was, it would be the, the guidebook that the Apostle Paul had. You know, we have different pastors have their guidebook to ministry and how they did certain things and how they saw certain things accomplished. I would like to have that for the Apostle Paul. And as, of course, the Scripture gives us many different instances of things that happened and if we tie all the pieces together, but it's given to us in an outline form many ways in these verses, that he came to a place, to a city, whatever city it may have been, at different times in his ministry, but his first goal, first and foremost, was to preach the gospel to that city. And of course, it took on many different forms from different places that he went. Many places he went, and first and foremost, he was concerned about his fellow, his federal, his fellow Israelites. And so he would go to the synagogues, and he would preach to the Jews there. Sometimes it would take him a few days, sometimes weeks. Every once in a while, he'd have a few months before he got kicked out of the synagogues. But he would go and he would reach his own countrymen first. But then it was his goal to bring the gospel to the entire city. And a church that's in a community, no matter where it is, that doesn't have a plan in place in order to reach the city where they've been placed, is a church that's really going nowhere, to be honest with you. And he had a plan in place where he would go, whether it was door to door or gathering in the marketplaces or different places where wherever there was a crowd, wherever there was an opportunity, there was the Apostle Paul. And he was seeking to preach the gospel to these people. And an amazing testimony that he had later on in Acts chapter 19 and chapter 20 as he's talking to the churches in Ephesus, the elders in the churches of Ephesus. And he says to them that he's free from the blood of all men. And what an amazing testimony. That as much was in his power as he went from place to place, he was free from their blood. Meaning this, that the gospel had been given to these people. And yes, not all of them believed, but it had been given. The opportunity had been given. And that was his goal first and foremost as he went to different places. To preach the gospel to the city, as it says here. But then we see the second thing later on in verse number 21. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many. Here we see the second thing in the Apostle Paul's method. I have the word taught circled in my Bible with the number two next to it. This is what his, his second goal as the gospel had been preached. He also was concerned with not just giving the people gospel, the gospel and seeing them born again, but seeing them grow in their faith. And this is the beginning stages of discipleship, maybe we would call it, as he's teaching them the things of God. These were the people, they would gather together in whatever form of church service that they would have, whether it was a secret thing or whether it was an open thing. They would gather together and God's word was preached to them. Just as Jesus had commanded his disciples to not just go and preach the gospel to every creature, but the Great Commission also includes teaching them all things. All things concerning Jesus Christ and, and the gospel and all these different things that they may grow in the Lord and that they may begin to develop as Christians. And that's what we see here, that he's first of all preached the gospel to the city, to everyone, and then he's taught the many. Those are the ones that we understand are believers that had trusted Christ as their Savior. Now they're being taught the things of God. It says they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and Antioch. 
verse number 22, we see the third thing. It says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. You see here, I have two words circled in here, and in my Bible it happens to be very convenient because one's on top of the other. The words confirming and exhorting. We see this as sort of a third step in his method. As he goes and he, he preaches the gospel to the city, he teaches the many, and now there's a smaller group of people. These are the disciples. These are those that are most receptive to God's word, that are showing the most signs of spiritual growth, and he's, he's giving special attention to these people. He's confirming them. He's confirming them the faith, meaning not some sort of religious ritual confirmation or something like that, but he's confirming them in the sense that he's seeing what these people are really made of. He's testing them in a way. And seeing them as they go through different trials that life brings about, whether it be from other brothers in the church or from the outside or whatever the trials may be that have come about in their life, and he's watching them very closely and seeing who's showing the signs of spiritual fruit and spiritual development here. And he's not just confirming the souls of the disciples, but it says he's exhorting them to continue in the faith. He's encouraging them to stay faithful. And as we look around the room tonight, I know some of you, I don't know any of you I would say very well, but I know many of you are paths of cross. And I know some of you have been gifted with different talents and different abilities. And we understand that, that God gives to, I mean, different gifts, you may call them, different talents, different abilities, whatever you want to classify those things as. God gives all of us different ones. But you see, one thing that all of us can give to the Lord is our faithfulness. No matter what place, no matter what, you know, what stage of life you're in, no matter what you've been gifted with, we can always give the Lord our faithfulness. And that's what he requires of us. You see, God doesn't require of us to serve the Lord with the abilities that he's given to someone else. He doesn't require us to take advantage of the opportunities that have been given to someone else. But he does know exactly what's been given to you. And we run this Christian race not against each other, and there's much of that that goes on in Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. We aren't running against each other, but we're running according to the gifts, the abilities, the opportunities that God has given to us. And someday when we stand before the Lord and we give an account for what we have done, it's not going to be that God's, you know, we stand before the Lord and he says, well, you know, Tommy McMurtry, he did this. How come you didn't do as much as Tommy did? That's not the way it's going to be. That's the way that we see it many times in our lives, though. We see a brother down the street and, they're, you know, God's blessing their ministry and we say, well, you know, they must be compromising or they must be doing something wrong in order, you know, they, they're doing something that's, that's not biblical to draw all these people in or whatever it may be. Well, that's, that's the opportunities that God has given to them. But what has God given to you? And are you taking advantage, so to speak? Maybe that's not quite the right words. But are you doing the best to your ability with what God has given to you? And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging these people just to stay faithful. Not everyone's going to serve the Lord like the Apostle Paul did. I don't think, you know, I don't, maybe we all should be, I don't know, but I don't think all of us have been gifted the same way that the Apostle Paul was. 
Certainly, I, I don't think I was. I don't, I'm not that bold of a person. Of course, I pray for it and that the Spirit of God would make me more of a bold person. But we see God gives all of us different gifts, different abilities. And it's up to us to serve him faithfully with what we've been given. But it says here that the Apostle Paul says he confirmed the souls of the disciples and exhorted them to continue in the faith that we, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. What he's telling the disciples here is that there's going to come testing. There's going to come tribulation. Just stay faithful. Just do what you know you're supposed to be doing. And as you serve the Lord, he's going to reveal to you the next step that you're to take. We like to have all the answers right now. That's the way that I am. You know, I, I, we're, this is the direction we're going. We're headed the direction towards Cape Verde. I, to be honest with you, and this isn't, I don't think, doubt on my part. It's just being real. I don't know if we'll ever make it. To be honest with you, I can't guarantee that. This is the direction that we're going. We believe this is the direction that the Lord would have us to go. But I can't say for sure where I'll be in five years and ten years. I can't tell you if I'll be under the grass or above the grass in five years or ten years. We don't know where we're going to be. But God guides us step by step. And we see God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He shows us the general path that we're to be going. But as we take each step, I believe he not just guides the general path that we're to go, but he also guides each step. He's a lamp to our feet as well. And just as you'll go outside, and I won't preach quite this long tonight where it'll be dark when we're done, but you drive somewhere in the dark, you start up your vehicle, you turn on your headlights, you don't automatically see your destination in front of you. What do you see? You see 50 feet, 100 feet, however far that you can see in front of you. You see part of it very clearly, and in the distance it's sort of a haze, but you follow that path. And as you go, if you know the right direction, if you stay on the course that you're supposed to be going on, eventually you'll arrive at whatever your destination may be, okay? But you see, you don't see the destination immediately, but you follow the Lord step by step. And it's that way in the Christian life. You follow the light that God has given to you. But anyways, I didn't mean to be on that point for so long, but I guess the Lord had it for somebody tonight. To continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God... Number four in the Apostle Paul's method, we see in verse number 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church. I have the word ordained circled in my Bible with the number four next to it. This was his goal in going to a place. It was not just to preach the gospel to the city, although that was his first goal, no doubt. It was not just to teach the people and then to leave, but it was to establish churches in every place that he went. And part of establishing churches was for him to choose the leader of the church. He was to ordain the elder. He took this upon himself. And we read this. This isn't just an isolated incident all throughout the New Testament. You see different, different uh, people that traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he didn't travel alone. He always had his group of people with him, it seemed like. Some people were left here for some reason or another, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. But many times you read of people that were left behind, in order to fulfill this step of his method, to ordain these elders. Titus at times was left behind. Timothy was left behind at other times in order to, to weed out who the leaders of these churches ought to be. And this was an intensive process, no doubt. And there's lots of thought and lots of prayer, lots of fasting, as we see in these verses, that went into this decision and choosing leadership for these churches. 
And it's our goal not to pastor a church in Cape Verde because I don't believe that's necessarily the biblical way. I don't have a problem with somebody coming to a church and starting a church and pastoring a church in the States. If they're from the States, that's their culture. That's within, that's within their culture, and they understand the language. They understand the things that come in effect with that. But I'd, I wouldn't make a good pastor in Cape Verde. I know that for a fact. I don't know if I'd make a good pastor in the United States either. But you see, the amazing thing is that God and his wisdom has left people in Cape Verde that understand their culture and their language, and they're the Cape Verdean people. Amazing thing. Who would have thunk, right? But you see, somebody who's from that area, a local person, call them national leadership, call them whatever you want to call them, but a local person that understands the culture, that understands the language, I'll never fully understand their culture. I'll never fully understand their language, most likely. But you see, someone who's from there can take what we give to them and go much further with it. And you see, this is, this is the idea of the Apostle Paul as he went from place to place. He didn't stop to pastor a church for a long time. That was not his ministry. His ministry was to see them established. And this is the way that the gospel is to go forth. Then we see in verse number 23, the last step. It says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. The fifth thing is very simply this word commended them to the Lord. The word commended, I have circled with the number five next to it. That this was the ultimate goal as they went from place to place. And I, I always feel bad when I read this verse and I skip over the part where it says with prayer and fasting because that cannot be overemphasized, no doubt. This is a work that God must do. But there came a point in the Apostle Paul's ministry where not only these elders were chosen, the leaders, the pastors were chosen and left in charge of these churches, so to speak. Of course, we understand that the Lord's the head of the church, not these people. But you see, these, these pastors were chosen and left in charge of these churches. And then there came a point where, in a way, the ties were severed. Where the Apostle Paul came to the point in these different ministries where he turned these things over to the Lord. And certainly what, what more capable hands could you turn them over to? And again, this is something that the Lord must do. But it came to the point in these people's lives in this ministry, as he went from place to place, whatever city it may have been, that he would get to the point where there's leadership established, there's people that have been saved, that have joined this church, this group of believers, they've been taught the things of the Lord, they've been discipled, the best that he knows how, they have good, solid leadership that's been left in place there. And now the responsibility is handed over to them. And said, here, this is what you've been given. Now go with it. Keep running with it. Here's the baton, so to speak, and they're passing it on to the local leadership there, to the local people there. That they can see God's work go on in that community and that the Apostle Paul could move on to the next place, wherever it may have been, wherever they chased him to and he stopped for long enough to see something else established. I think uh, in the Apostle Paul's life, again, an amazing person, I think at times that the Lord had him in prison just so he would sit still long enough to write different books of the Bible because I don't think he ever sat still very long anyways. And you know, But anyways, that's a side note. But what an amazing man, what an amazing ministry that he had. And I'm not setting myself up to be the Apostle Paul or anything like that. But this is our goal, this is our intention as we go to Cape Verde. 
the islands of Cape Verde, there's nine inhabited islands. On the islands today, there's only good gospel-preaching churches on two of the islands. There's other groups that preach something similar to us, but they, you know, of course, preach they can lose their salvation and those sorts of things. Very confused doctrinally, the different things that they may preach. But as far as good gospel-preaching churches that believe like you and I, there's only some on two of the islands. There's seven islands that are basically untouched with the gospel. And it's our goal, of course, when we go there initially, we'll be learning the language and culture the best that we can, maybe the first couple years that we're there, getting a firm grasp of those things. Because if you're like me, you don't like moving to somewhere where you you know can't go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread. While we were there, another funny story that... We were staying in a, in a hotel there, which if you've never stayed in an African hotel, I would not highly recommend it, okay? But one of the stops that we made on our survey trip, we were in a hotel for a few days, and we had ran out of some essential things. We had run out of toilet paper while we were in the hotel. And we didn't know how to go to the front desk and ask for more toilet paper or if that was something that they necessarily provided. We went to the, to the store. There was a store a couple blocks away. And we were very proud of ourselves. We went to the store and we bought something. We spent our money. We sort of understood after they gave us some hand gestures what we were supposed to pay them and that sort of thing. I don't know if they took the price that they were really asking for the stuff. But we went back to the hotel, all proud of ourselves. We got back to the hotel and realized that here we are, these dumb Americans. We didn't buy toilet paper. We bought paper towels. It looked like toilet paper in the package. But that's not the kind of thing that we want to jump into and just sort of, you know, wing it from there. There's some preparation that goes along with this, just so, you know, instances like that and worse things, I guess, could happen, okay? But you see, there's, I don't know how I got into all that. I never told the toilet paper story before, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I did. But anyways, anyways, there's, there's, there's some preparation that goes into this, and we understand that. We won't immediately go to some of these far-flung islands when we get there. But that's the goal, to bring the gospel to these places. And not to stay there for forever, but to see good gospel preaching, Baptist churches established here, and from there to leave it with the people and to go on to the next place. We see that as the biblical method. Not just the Apostle Paul's method and what he decided was best, but we believe that's what the Lord had him to do, and that's what the Lord would have us to do. And please, please, please pray for us. If nothing else, you know, we're, of course, we're at the stage where we're looking for churches to financially support us. And you understand that. That's why we're here. But if you can't do that, I totally understand. This is a small congregation, a new work, and you need to, you have other bills that need to be met. I understand that completely. But please pray for us. Not just for our safety. You know, many times we pray for the missionaries' safety and those sorts of things. And yes, that's an important thing, no doubt. But pray that God would do a work in the Cape Verdean people in such a way, you know, we aren't there right now, but God is. And God's at work in their hearts. There may be circumstances that people are going through in Cape Verde that I've never met before, but in three years, four years, two years, however long it takes us to get there, we'll meet them and they'll say, you know, something happened two or three years ago that got us thinking about the things of God, that got us thinking about eternity. I believe we serve a God that's just that powerful, that though we aren't there yet, he's already preparing the way. We don't know exactly where we're going to stop when we get there, what city we'll be working in first, but the Lord knows that. 
He knows all of those things, and he's at work in this world, whether or not we're there to, you know, and of course, we, we like to have things in our control, so to speak. We think that we're in control, and we're comfortable when we think that we're in control. This is something that I've come to the point in my life, at least as far as these things, that I realize that I'm, I'm really not in control of this thing at all. But it's something that the Lord must do. And pray that God would soften hearts, that God would give us the open doors that we need as we seek to follow him. But anyways, I hope this is a blessing to you and see a little bit about what mission work is, what our goals are, and something maybe that you can remember in order to pray for us, other missionaries that you may support, that you have come through here, that you can know a little bit better maybe how to pray for them and to see the things established that they're, they're working towards and what exactly missions work is. And, of course, this is what we believe is biblical missions work. And I'm not saying that, you know, you can't, support a camp or uh, whatever with your missions money and I understand that completely those are things that help local churches and I'm not doubting those in any way but as far as foreign missions we believe that this is the route that the Lord would have us to take to see churches established and to see these things turned over to the people there but anyways let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer I'll turn it, turn it back over to Pastor Tommy thank you Heavenly Father